弟兄姐妹和朋友们平安。Peace to you, friends and members. Have you ever found yourself in a situation when you didn't know what to pray? For those that doesn't know me, my name is Luke. Several years back, I had to help my mom move out of a house that we had lived in when I was in middle school and high school. My dad had passed away already, so she was living there、um, by herself. So I took a weekend to go by myself to help her start sorting out you know, many, many years of stuff that we had there, and started to make arrangement for movers for her. But before going there for the weekend to help my mom, I felt really anxious because, you know, during that time God has started to work、um, in me to deal with my path and some of the issues that I have with my mom. So I remember sharing this anxiety with a friend over WeChat, and he shared the Serenity Prayer with me. Maybe some of you like me then. I never heard of the Serenity Prayer, so so I want to read this out for you. The prayer goes like this: God, give me grace to accept with serenity the things that cannot be changed, courage to change the things which should be changed, and the wisdom to distinguish the one from the other. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time. Accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that You will make all things right if I surrender to Your will, so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with You forever in the next. Amen. Does anyone know the author of this prayer? Well, I didn't know either. So. I googled it or I searched for it on the internet. It is a tribute to Reinhold Niebuhr. Not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. With the earliest version from 1937. This prayer was a helpful reminder for me to trust God and give my anxieties to Him. Do you guys know of other helpful prayers, perhaps? And let me read another well-known prayer, and you can see if you know the author. This one goes like this: Lord, make me an instrument of Your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, not so much to be understood as to understand. Not so much to be loved as to love, for it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, it is in dying that we awake to eternal life. This is a prayer known as "Instrument of Your Peace," a prayer seeking to be used by God, and it is attributed to Saint Francis of Assisi. You know, maybe some of you like me know it more as a hymn. Make me a channel of your peace, and we can certainly sing our prayers to God as well. But today we will study a prayer that I want to call the Disciples' Prayer. Now it's a prayer given by Jesus to his disciple in Luke 11. It is more commonly known as the Lord's Prayer in Matthew, in the Matthew 6 version. 
But I would argue that disciple prayer, disciples' prayer is a better name for it because it is a prayer to be prayed by Jesus' disciples. It is given by the Lord Jesus to his disciples to be prayed. If you have been worshiping with us, we have been studying through the book of Luke in the Bible. Luke is writing to assure his reader who Jesus is, Jesus' deity, that he is God with all authority, as well as Jesus' humanity, that he is fully human with a body and also emotions. In chapter 1 through 8, Luke focused on the question, who is Jesus? And he showed that not only she showed that not only Jesus claimed to be God, but Jesus also proved that he is God. And also from chapter 9 onward, there is a transition to this question of how to be Jesus' disciple. So I believe last week, John taught on the passage that asked the question, how to inherit eternal life? And the answer, if you remember, was love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Though that was the correct answer, I think John also reminded us that it was an impossible task you know, without Jesus. The key to make it possible to love God and love others is this, as God has shown us mercy through Jesus that enables us to love God and show mercy to others. Today we'll continue in this section on how to be Jesus' disciples. And one of the themes in the book of Luke is that Jesus' disciples are to live a life of prayer. So we observe Jesus praying regularly and also his teaching to his disciple on prayer. Hopefully, today we will see a little more that Jesus' disciples are to live this life of prayer and how to live the life of prayer more fully. Today we will study Luke chapter 11 from verse 1 to 13. And the main idea of our passage today is this. Jesus teaches his disciples to pray to the Father with boldness and confidence. Jesus teaches his disciples to pray to the Father with boldness and confidence. One more time. Jesus teaches his disciples to pray to the Father with boldness and confidence. The three-point outline will follow um, will follow our summary sentence. So number one, pray to the Father from verse one to four. Pray to the Father from verse one to four. And number two, pray with boldness from verses five to eight. Pray with boldness. And number three, pray with confidence from verses nine to thirteen. If you have your Bible, you can start flipping to chapter eleven of Luke. Or you can also find it printed for us in the bulletin. Our first section from verses 1 to 4. Jesus teaches his disciple to pray to the Heavenly Father. Pray to the Heavenly Father. Now follow along as I read aloud starting at verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, 
as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive, our, forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. Let's stop here a little bit. Now look back at verse 1. We see that Jesus was praying. Jesus, as we have seen him done regularly, he prays. And he was praying as the heaven are open at his baptism back in Luke chapter 3. And he was drawn to desolate places and prayed, as we have seen in Luke chapter 5. And he went to the mountain praying all night before choosing his 12 disciples, as we see in chapter 6. And Jesus praying alone also with his disciple in chapter 9, as well as in front of his disciple thanking the Father in chapter 10. You know, so Jesus praying is a, is a common thing, is a regular thing for him. You know, as we continue that verse, as Jesus finished praying, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Now I have a question. Do the disciple not know how to pray? You know, like, when I was a younger believer, I wasn't sure how to pray, so a pastor shared this acronym, ACTS, to help me structure my prayer. You know, to start with A for adoration or praising of God, C for confession of my sin, to repent and ask for forgiveness, T for thanksgiving, to thank God for His grace and provision, and finally S for supplication, which is just a fancy word for making our requests and petition known to God. I mean, is that what the disciple is asking here? That they didn't know how to pray, so wanted Jesus to teach them? Now I want us to admit that this is not exactly what they were asking for. Now these initial disciples of Jesus was mostly Jewish, and prayer is one of the central pillars of Jewish practice. You know, these first century Jews regularly practiced prayer both in the synagogues and at home. You know, they learned daily prayers of, of thanksgiving, of blessings, and petitions. They pray scriptures, you know, for them, which is the Old Testament. They knew how to pray, and, and they also knew what to pray. You know, I, I believe what they are asking for is how to pray as Jesus' disciple. How to pray as Jesus' disciple. Now look again what the disciple said to him. Now he said, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciple. As John taught his disciple. So what they are saying is that that we are, now that we are your disciple, you know, teach us to pray as your disciples. Now in those days, Jews had many teachers or, or rabbis. Now these teachers would create short prayers for their disciple to add as a meditation at the conclusion of their daily prayers. In the, in the Talmud, which is a collection of Jewish tradition, you know, it actually records some of these prayers distinctive to a certain rabbi. And so here's an example. When Rabbi Eliezer concluded his recitation of prayer, he prayed, May it be your will, O Lord our God, to cause love, brotherhood, peace, and friendship to swell in our midst. 
And may you set our portion in paradise and grant us good companionship and good inclination in your world. And may we rise early and obtain the desire of our heart to fear your name. And may you be pleased to satisfy our desire. So these teachers would kind of teach these prayers to their disciples to help them to meditate. And so looking at verse 1, apparently John the Baptist also had taught his disciple a particular prayer that is distinct to his preaching. Now it is not recorded in the Bible for us, but I imagine, you know, perhaps it could be something like this. It could be something like, Oh Lord, we repent of our sins. Forgive us and help us to bear fruit in keeping with our repentance. <coughs> or probably something a little longer and more eloquent than I am. But you get the point. There's something distinct to what they are preaching. So it makes sense that Jesus' disciples are asking Jesus to teach them to pray as his disciples. It is something additional to add as a meditation to hopefully the daily prayers they are already making. We see that Jesus, of course, gladly complied to their request. So look there in verse 2. He said to them, Okay, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. Many of us know this as the Lord's Prayer and might even have it memorized. Now I feel more comfortable with the old King James Version. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, forgive our sin as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Well, this is the Matthew 6 version that is more well known. You'll notice a slight difference to what we have recorded in Luke. Many theologians believe both versions are original. The Matthew version was spoken by Jesus early in his ministry in Galilee. And Luke's version in our text today, probably a year later, most likely in Judea. But in both cases, Jesus taught it as a way for the disciples to pray. So let's look at the prayer and try to make some observation first. Now look there in Luke 11. Let's look again at 2 to 4. So starting Father, you know, this is an intimate address of God, right? It, it signifies a family relationship. Hallowed be your name. Hallow means to honor as holy or, or to set apart. So something like praise God and His holiness and petitioning for God's reputation to be honored and to be reverenced. Your kingdom come. Kingdom is referring to God's reign in people's heart that, that cause someone to be a part of God's kingdom. So praise God for the already reality of the arrival of God's kingdom in part with Jesus coming. And petitioning for God's reign to advance in people's heart until the fullness of the completed kingdom when Jesus returns again. 
give us each day our daily bread. You know, daily bread here represents all the physical needs that the disciples have. Praise God for being the provider of these needs and is positioning for necessary physical needs daily, day by day, you know, and not just once and for all, but continually. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And that, as we're seeing, you know, already in Luke, is another way referring of referring to sin. So indebted to us means others that have sinned, sinned against us. That we too praise God for continual forgiveness as we confess our sins and ask for grace and power to forgive others who have sinned against us, who have wronged us. And then lead us not into temptation. Temptation to sin against God. To come and praise God for His protection and to ask to be led away from temptations of our flesh. So now we kind of look at this prayer a little more. Next, now I, I want us to kind of focus on three things. You know, first of all, this prayer is for people that can address God as Father, right? It wouldn't be fitting if you can't call God Father and be praying this prayer. It's like my son Josiah, you know, if he comes to me and asks, Father, May I go play football with my mates? I might answer him, Sure, son, if you first take the rubbish out. Okay, I don't know why that came out British, but maybe it's because my kids never call me father and it seems like something kids in England, England would say. Anyway, the point is, you know, if, say, Brian comes to me and asks, Father, can you give me some money to get milk tea? I'd probably look at him weird, right? Because I'm not his father. I'm not his dad, right? So for those of us here that are believers, if you are a disciple of Jesus, we can rightly call God our Father. In Ephesians 1, 5-6 it says, In love God predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the beloved Jesus. In Romans 8.15, it says this, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The idea of fatherhood should convey to a child authority, warmth, and intimacy of loving care. So brother and sister, what an amazing truth to know that we have a perfectly good heavenly Father. And Jesus teaches his disciple, which includes us, to pray saying Father, to address our God as Father, to pray to our heavenly For those here that do not call yourself a disciple of Jesus, maybe you will not say you are a Christian yet, or you are still seeking 
that true God you feel in your heart? We want to tell you right now how you would be able to pray to God as your Father in heaven. First, you have to know that all of us are sinners. And this includes you and me. Our relationship with God is broken because the Bible tells us that we are born with a nature that put ourselves first and not God first. No matter how hard we try, we're not able to break the same nature. In our self-centeredness, we hurt others, we cause pain to ourselves, and ultimately, we reject God and is condemned before a righteous and holy God. The consequence is death, not only physically, but spiritually. We will be eternally separated from God in a place where the Bible calls hell. And this is the bad news. Well, here is where the good news of Jesus Christ comes in. Jesus died on the cross to pay for the sins of the entire world, including your sins and my sins. Not only that, he conquered death and raised to life again. So for anyone that would acknowledge their sins, repent of them, and believe that Jesus died for you and died for me, and decide to follow Jesus, Romans 8, 9 says this, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Once you do that, you are adopted to be God's sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. So we can say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forget everyone who is indebted to us. Lead us not into temptation. We can call God Father. The second thing I want us to notice is the communal nature of this prayer. Notice how it uses our daily bread, our sins, and forgive us and lead us. This prayer reminds Jesus' disciples that we are designed to live in community. It is our daily needs that we need to ask for, our sins that needs forgiveness. It is us that need to forgive others and us that needs to be led by our God. Our discipleship with Jesus is not meant to be just, just an individual faith. This is one of the reasons why we value membership of a local church at WSBC. It is a way for us to express our commitment to a local community of believers. We are offering membership classes now, as Brent has announced before. So we have them before service each week starting at 8.50 at night. I know it's early, but I would challenge you to attend to understand more deeply what it means to commit to a local body. Lastly, what I want us to notice is prayer reinforces that God's holiness and His kingdom should be the primary focus. To enter the kingdom of God is synonym to inheriting eternal life. Remember back in Luke 10, 25, a lawyer asked Jesus, he said, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? 
the answer was essentially love God and love your neighbor. But Jesus' prayer to the disciple remind us to love God by petitioning for God's name to be hallowed and for his kingdom to come. This disciple's prayer reminds us to love our neighbor by asking for our daily physical needs so we can have the capability to love our neighbors by asking for forgiveness so that we recognize the source of us being able to forgive others and love them. And finally, asking for deliverance from temptations so that we can be loving instead of hurting others. The object of our prayer is important. Jesus teaches the disciple to pray to the Heavenly Father. Why? Because our Heavenly Father is the true God and that prayer enabling us to love God and love others is how to inherit eternal life. So pray to the Heavenly Father. Now after Jesus gave this prayer for the disciple to pray and meditate on daily, he tells them a prayer. Let's look at our second section from verses 5 to 8. Jesus teaches the disciples to pray with shameless boldness. Pray with shameless boldness. Jesus teaches the disciples to pray with shameless boldness. Look with me, continuing in verse 5. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend for for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet, because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Let's stop here. So first, I think we need to define the word impudence. I confess I didn't know what the word impudent mean at first. So I looked it up. Impudence is the quality of being impudent. <laughs> okay, not very helpful. So let's keep going. And impudent means not showing proper respect for another person. So some synonyms for impudence are audacity, shamelessness, boldness, and persistence. So maybe that gives us some idea of what it means. The Gospel of Luke was originally written in Greek, and the Greek word here is an idea. I'm probably not pronouncing that, that right. So an idea which is in Greek mythology was the goddess of ruthlessness, and shamelessness. You know, so again, embodying this idea of being shameless. So when we look at other translations of the Bible, you know, sometimes gives us a fuller picture of the meaning of these words. So when we look at NIV, you know, which has translated verse 8 here to be, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So that's that's helpful. The Amplified Bible translates, Yet because of his persistence and boldness, 
he will get up and give him whatever he needs. The Revised Chinese Union Version writes this, 也会因他不顾面子的直求起来照他所需要的给他。So,不顾面子, right? And you don't even care about your face or how you might come across to the other person. So in, the, in Jesus' day, if you have a friend or a guest over, it is unthinkable for a host to have no food to set before him. It is just a common hospitality, you know, thing of hospitality to do. You know, maybe this is similar here in China too, right? If someone comes over to visit, we feel need to set out something for our guests, maybe some snacks, maybe some fruit, offer tea, and warm water, right? It has to be warm water or maybe even hot water, right? So the situation Jesus put the listening in is that a guest is arriving unexpectedly late at night. Close to midnight, in fact. Now, you're unprepared with no food to set before this guest, you know, who probably just came in from a long journey, that's probably why he is coming so late. So you go to a friend, probably a neighbor, and ask to borrow three loaves of bread. Now in Jesus' day, you know, and I think um, this is similar in many Chinese families still do now. In a family, the parents and the kids all sleep in one bed. You know, so can you imagine, you already locked the door to the apartment, the kids are already in bed and probably asleep. If the friend gets up to give some bread, it probably means the whole family will have to be awakened. But what would most of us do? Even if we would not get up for a friend, if someone comes knocking on our door and probably already woke the entire family up anyway, we would give them what they ask for, right? Either because we know they are really in need, or maybe just to get rid of them quickly so we can get back to sleep, right? <laughs> What is Jesus' point? I think the parable of the story, or the point of the story, is that Christians should go shamelessly and boldly before God with any needs we have. For God is more gracious and caring than any friend, any human friend or neighbor. Our Heavenly Father is more gracious and caring than any human friend or neighbor, so we should go shamelessly and boldly before God with any needs that we have. So what are some things we need to pray with shameless boldness? Has there been something like this friend arriving unexpectedly, you know, like this late night guest? Is it a Sickness, that's usually unexpected. Is it a job loss? That's a lot of time unexpected. Is it new responsibilities? Is it disappointment? Is it the consequences that COVID has brought upon all of us? Which is very unexpected. How do we pray with shameless boldness? In today's scripture reading earlier, 
what Schreier read for us about Jacob. You know, Jacob, by all accounts, he's a trickster, right? He took advantage of his brother and, and bought his brother's birthright for some bread and a bowl of lentils food. And he tricked his father into giving him the family blessing instead of his brother. But what Jacob did right, I think, was his shameless bonus with God later on in life. And the passage that we read you know, was also a turning point in his life you know, where God changed his name from Jacob to Israel. In the Bible, when someone's name is changed, it usually signifies you know, a turning point. We'll see that Jacob prayed, Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you say, referring to God, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Later on, we also see Jacob wrestling with God, and God said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. You know, that's persistent, not letting go and boldness and asking God to bless him, right? We also see that Jacob is shamelessly transparent with God. You know, he told God plainly that he feared his brother Esau. You know, we, we see his boldness in claiming God's promise to him to do him good and to multiply his offspring. Let me suggest to pray with shameless boldness. We first need to be humble, accepting and revealing our weaknesses and our needs. We first need to be humble, accepting and revealing our weaknesses and our needs. To be transparent, with our inner fears and inadequacies. Not only before God, but also before others who is willing to pray with us. Now, is there one other person this week you will be willing to open up to? To have no means in sharing your brokenness and your need. To be shameless in asking for help? Are we able to disregard what this other person might think of us and be humble with our weaknesses and our needs? And we don't have to wait until we have it all together to pray. Ask others to pray for you with shameless boldness. And this is part of the reason why we have an evening prayer service. And we have one this evening at 5 p.m. You know, at Lillian's house. Please come and share and pray. And let's pray with shameless boldness for salvation of our families and friends and co-workers. Let's pray with shameless boldness for God to provide spouses to those that desire to get married in the Lord. Let's pray with shameless boldness for provision of good education for our children. Let's pray with shameless boldness at our home groups. Let's pray with shameless boldness with one another. Let's pray. 
Jesus teaches the disciples to pray with shameless boldness because the Heavenly Father is more gracious and caring than any friends or neighbor that we will know. Finally, let's go to our last section, verse 9 to 13. Pray with confidence. Jesus teaches the disciples to pray with childlike confidence. Pray with childlike confidence. Starting in verse 9. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Not, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Jesus tells his disciples to ask God. Asking is also the same as praying to God. In Deuteronomy 4.9 says, But from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. So even seeking, you know, even in the Old Testament, God promised that if we seek, we will find and finally, knocking, knocking is referring to knocking at God's gate. You know, it's similar to what the parable Jesus had just told in verse 5 to 8 about knocking on the friend's door to ask for bread. This is knocking at God's gate for his mercy. As we step back and, and, and look at verse 10 there again, that is very powerful, right? Jesus promised for everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be open. So does this mean we will receive whatever we ask for, find whatever we want, and be open to what we are looking for? Well, only if it is in line with God's good perfect will, right? Not whatever we want. I think this is why Jesus added this illustration at the end. Because he knows how easily we can misunderstand this promise. The illustration is fairly easy to understand. Fish and egg were common foods to the disciples. Serpent or snakes and scorpions are common dangers in that area where Jesus says, and the disciple were at. Of course, as earthly father, we would look out for our children's safety, right? And we would not give snakes and scorpions that can injure our children. But I think we need to look at this a little bit more deeply. I think what Jesus is saying is that if you ask your father for fish and egg, and if he didn't give you fish and egg, what do you think he will give you? Instead, he's saying that he's not going to give serpents or scorpions. 
And I think Jesus' point is that a father will not give something that will be bad for his children, even if it's not what the child asked for. So maybe instead of fish and egg, you know, God gives you lamb and chicken. And something even better, right? Perhaps to some people. Or maybe instead of fish and egg, you get flour and oil. Maybe in your eyes, not as good as fish and egg, but it's just as needed, right? The key hinges on a good father who knows how to give good gifts to his children or who knows what his children truly need. What is best for his child. But we can't get any better than a perfectly good Heavenly Father. So I believe we can pray with childlike confidence. Knowing that He will give us what is best for us even if it is not what we ask for. I believe this is what Jesus wanted to teach the disciple to pray with childlike confidence because we have a good, good Father in Heaven. And, and what is the absolute best gift Father God can give to His children? Himself. You know, himself as a gift, of course. And God does exactly that by giving the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, to His children as a gift. Our Heavenly Father gives the Holy Spirit through Jesus the Son to intercede for us in prayer. Isn't that amazing? You know, the, the disciples say, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus says, okay, not only will I teach you to pray, I will give the Holy Spirit to help you to pray so that you can pray with childlike confidence. So how can we pray with childlike confidence? You know, first we need to recognize the father and child relationship, right? Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Our Heavenly Father knows what is good and what is best for His children. And even when it might be perhaps trials or hardship. First Corinthians 2 9 says, What no eye has seen, no ear heard, no nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Now our confidence comes from knowing that our Heavenly Father is perfectly good so we can trust what He has prepared and preordained for us, you know, even if it's not what we ask for. Now how else could we pray with childlike confidence? So secondly, Jesus' disciple could pray with childlike confidence because we have the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit. How much more Will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Our Heavenly Father gives the
the Holy Spirit through Jesus the Son who intercedes for us in prayer. Romans 8, 26-27 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the, God, the will of God. So there, there it is. Now Jesus teaches the disciple to pray with childlike confidence because we have a perfectly good Heavenly Father and we have been gifted with the Holy Spirit. I think this hybrid pro from William Carey and John Piper expresses well you know, that what that childlike confidence that we should have looks like as we pray. The, the Pope goes like this. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God and submit everything to God. So pray with childlike confidence. Well, we should conclude. Jesus is teaching us how to be his disciple with this disciple's prayer. It is a prayer we should add to our daily prayers to do better cultivate this life of prayer that he wants for us. We are reminded that to inherit eternal life, we need to be adopted as sons and daughters through believing Jesus so that we are able to love God, the Father, and love our neighbor as ourselves. Jesus taught the disciple to pray to the Father with boldness and confidence. Pray to our Heavenly Father. Pray with shameless boldness and pray with childlike confidence. So pray with me. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.